All right, if you've brought your Bible with you today, we're going to go back to 1 John. If uh, you were here last week, you know I, I kind of skipped and, and preached about God's holiness last week. And <coughs> this week we're going to go back to 1 John chapter 5, maybe a, a few more a few more sections to get through, and then we'll be done with the whole book of First John. In this section today, we're going to start in verse 13. It's probably some of the, some of the hardest verses to interpret here in the, this section between 13 and 17. But we're going to look at them, and we're going, to, we're going to ask God to bless our time together. So let's pray as we, as we go before Him. Father, we thank You. Come before You today, Lord. We ask that You'd be with us today as we, uh, as we um, uh, look at Your Word, as we come... And we, uh, we just ask for some divine guidance, God, as your spirit comes and you, you said that you would be with your word when it goes forth. We pray, God, that you would, uh, that you would use it in our lives and that you would just bless us today uh, by giving us your instruction and your correction and whatever you would have this word to do today. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, God, that you would uh, um, just uh, let your spirit fall in this place in such a way that we can feel your presence and know that you were here, know that you were uh, using this word to... Uh, to change our hearts and to, and to make us who you want us to be. And we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we were going to sum up what we've seen so far, it probably wouldn't take much. You probably know the two words that come to mind when we sum up uh, what John's been telling us in First John are uh, assurance and uh, examination. I mean, those pr- pretty much uh, sum up just about all the messages that we've preached, about all the things that we've talked about. Well, John is writing these things. We're going to see this in this verse we're going to read here, verse 13. He's writing them to give us assurance. He's writing them to let us know that we have eternal life, that we are God's children. If we've trusted in Christ, if we've been born again, he's writing so we, that, so we would know. And if you look, uh, we're not going to take much time to look at it, but uh, for the rest, of the rest of this book, from verse 13 all the way down to 21... Uh, we know is going to be in almost every verse. We know this. We know that. It's something that we know. We know. If you look, just uh, skim over it, uh, in verse 15, it says, we know. And then in verse uh, uh, 18, we know. And then 19, and we know. 20, and we know. He's going to talk about things that we know. Things that now that he's instructed us, now that he's written this letter to us, now that he's written and the Holy Spirit has inspired him in uh, the writing of First John, now after all of this is said and done, after all of the things that he's written, there are some things that we should know. There are some things that we should be assured of. There are some things that we shouldn't have any doubt over. And so when we talk about when we talk about First John and what we're going to see here in these verses, it's going to be all about assurance. It's going to be all about assurance. That you have eternal life. If you are a believer in Christ, it's going to be all about assurance that you have a perfect relationship with God. And it's going to be assurance that you will, if you've been born again, you will persevere. You will, you will continue to be God's child. There'll never be a time when you won't be God's child. If you have been born again, remember those verses that we read in chapter two that says those that went out from among us. They were not of us and they went out showing that they were not of us. So those are the three things we're going to be assured of today. You have eternal life if you've been born again. All this is contingent on whether you've been born again. It's contingent upon whether the Holy Spirit lives in you. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've been born again, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you have uh, assurance that you can have that you have eternal life and that you will persevere through this life no matter what comes your way and that you have a perfect relationship with God. So in verse 13, I'm just going to read 13 through 17 today. That's all we're going to do because there's going to be a whole lot there to get through. Um, verse 13 says, this is a verse we all know. It says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know. There's our word. Know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. He says, these things I've written. Well, what are these things? It's the letter that we just got finished reading. It's really only five chapters. We've taken quite a long time getting through these five chapters. But if you sat down in an afternoon, you could probably read 1 John in 20 or 30 minutes. It's only five chapters and it'd be easy. And he says, these things I have written. Well, what has he written? We've seen it over and over again. He's given us tests 
by which we can examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith or not. He's given us the test of doctrine, whether we truly believe who Christ said he was and what Christ came to do, that he is the propitiation for our sins. And he's given us the test of obedience, whether we are following after his commands. We've seen it over and over again. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about just living, living after Christ, chasing after him, chasing to be obedient, living to be a to be to honor his word and to and who he is. And we've seen the test of love, whether you love the brethren, whether you love God's people, God's word, whether you love Christ, those three tests. He says, these things I've written, I haven't written them so that you would doubt. I haven't written them so that you would worry. I haven't written them that you would uh, look at yourself and just be afraid all the time. Well, what if I'm not living up to... He said, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. I've given you these things. I've given you this book. I've given you these writings so that you may know. Remember what was going on. There were people that had come into the church, and I've told you this two or three times, and they were saying, now Jesus is a good start, and we love Jesus, and it's all good. But if you want to be truly a child of God, if you want to have the true relationship with God, the higher knowledge, the higher thing, the higher spirituality, you got to come and you got to have this secret knowledge that we're teaching that you can't find anywhere else. And over and over again in this book, we've seen John say, no, 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 no. There's nothing higher than trusting in Christ. There's nothing higher than what Jesus did for you. He is the propitiation of your sins. He's the one who took away the wrath of the father. And if you are in him, then you have perfect relationship with the father. And he's saying, I write these things that you may know. Now look who knows, look who has assurance. Is he talking to the super Christian that's doing everything right? Is he talking to the guy who has everything going on? The guy who has grown and matured in his faith? The guy who's been walking with God for maybe 30, 40 years? Is he talking to that guy? Maybe. But who he's talking to is those of you who have believed on the name of the Son of God. Simple as that. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no stipulations. There's no, hey, I'm writing to you so that you know that you may have eternal life. For those of you who are doing really, really good. For those of you who are walking the way that, you know, you, you are, you are being perfect before the world and there's, there's nothing that you're struggling with, nothing that you're fighting with, nothing you're battling. You're just walking through like a bed of roses, just on cloud nine. Everything's wonderful and God's being so good to you. He says, I'm writing to you, to those who believe on the name of the son of God. That's the only stipulation. That's the only thing. That means if you got saved yesterday, you're a day old, don't know nothing. If you're a day old, if you're a baby, a day old, you can't walk. You can't even hold your head up. I mean, I'm scared to hold babies because you can't, they can't hold the head up. You got to support the head. And they always tell you, you know, but make sure you support the head. They can't do nothing. They can't feed themselves, can't talk, can't dress themselves, can't hold their head up, can't do nothing. But if you're a day old in Christ, you believe in the name of the son of God. He's writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. The only thing that you have, the only thing that you need is trust. In the son of God that he died for my sins, that he was risen from the grave and that he paid the debt that I owed before the father. So we're talking about simple faith. We're talking about faith that a child could do. We're not talking about learning secret knowledge. We're not talking about learning all these things that you might need to know these, these depths of theology and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about simple faith in the son of God. These things I've written to you. This is who I'm telling those who have believed on the name of the son of God. I'm writing them to you. You guys who believe I'm writing to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you get that where it said you have? This is not something that we're waiting around for when we die. It's not something, you know, well, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have eternal life when I die. No, he's talking to people that are alive when he wrote this. He says, you have it. It's your possession. It's not something you're chasing after. It's not something that you have to go find. It's not something you have to work for. It's not something, man, if, if I could really just learn more about this or that, or, or, or there's nothing wrong with those things, but if I can really just delve into the depths of God and who he is and what those things are great. And that's what your heart's going to long to do. But if you have believed in the name of the son of God, you have eternal life right now. It's your possession. We're not chasing after it. We're not on a quest. 
We're not, we're not hoping some great teacher that knows everything about everything is going to walk through the door and he's going to teach us the, the one little secret that we need to unlock the key to having the, a wonderful life for those things. If you have believed in the name of the Son of God, you have it. You have it. It's already your possession. Think about that a moment. Right now, here in the midst of this suffering of this world, in the midst of the circumstances of this world, in the midst of all the things that may or may not be going wrong, in the midst of all the ugliness that we see on TV and out in the world and everything, you have eternal life. Your life with Christ, your life in God, the life that you're going to enjoy for eternity, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, has already begun. It's already started. It started the moment that you trusted in Christ and the Holy Spirit came into your heart. It's, it started the moment that Jesus' death was applied to your life and you were seen as forgiven before the Father. You have eternal life. It's yours. Today, it's yours right now. Today, you have victory. Today, you have victory over everything. Death hell, the grave. There is nothing that can, that can grab you and pull you back down. There's nothing that can pull you out of his hand. There's nothing that can remove that eternal life from you. There is absolutely nothing that can make you an old creature after you have been made a new creature by Christ Jesus. There is absolutely nothing. It's a possession that you have. You have this inheritance. There's nothing that can spoil it. There's nothing that can corrode it. There's nothing that can make it, make it fade away. It is yours if you have believed on the name of the Son of God. You have believed in the authority of the name of the Son of God. That he is enough to save me from my sin. He is enough to present me as holy and righteous before the Father. He is enough to present me as blameless and unspotted. He's enough. If you believed in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. Today, for you and I, for those of us who've been born again by the Spirit of God, the veil's been rent. There's no more hindrance. There's no more, there's no more hoops to have to jump through in order to get to God's presence. There's no more hoops to, to have to jump through in order to get God to hear my prayers. We're going to see that in just a minute. There's no more hoops to have to jump through to get God to love me. Not because I'm so good, not because I'm so lovable, but because it's been paid for. There's nothing hindering me and you, those who believed in the name of the Son of God, from coming into his presence and letting our requests be made known. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High because of what he has done. That's, that's kind of amazing. That's kind of amazing. And it's just by believing in the name of the Son of God. These things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know. So you can know that you have. Not that you're working for. Not that you might have. Not that if you, if you keep everything just right. But that you right now have eternal life. Remember, John didn't know personally every person that was going to read this letter. Even in the first century, he didn't know everybody. And so he says... Generally, to all men, to anybody who picks up my letter and to anybody who reads it, to anybody who hears it read, if you believe on the name of the son of God, you have eternal life. He says, and I'm writing these things also that you may believe on the name of the son of God. There may be some of you here. There's some of you that John may have been writing to. Says, look, you've looked at these tests and maybe you, you, you don't trust in Christ. Maybe you're searching after something else. Maybe you're walking after something else or trying to find that key that's going to unlock everything and make everything better. He says, no, I'm writing these things so that if you believe on the name of the Son of God, you know that you have eternal life. And I'm also writing them so that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He has given us life and he has given us everything that we need, everything in this life. If we believe on the name of the Son of God, that is something that it's a it's a trumpet he's been blowing from the very beginning of this book. I hope that you recognize that you have the assurance of eternal life. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you have the assurance of eternal life. I'm writing these so that you may know there is no more. There is no more place in the believer's life for fear or worry or doubt when those things come and they come and try to play with your mind, trying to whisper in your ear. 
You can just tell him to shut up. It's stupid. It doesn't even make sense. He has written that we know that we have eternal life. All those things are just nonsense in our ears. It'd be like, I've used this before. It'd be like me uh, finally paying off my house at the bank. And I walked in and I paid the last payment. And this is the last payment that I've got. I'm excited. I'm getting to pay off the debt that I've owed. And it's all good. This is not an exact analogy because I didn't pay nothing. Jesus paid it all. But it's, let's just say I'm in there and I'm paying my last payment off. And I'm paying this thing and I'm excited. And they give me the receipt. They give me the, 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 the check stub. They give me whatever it is they give you. I don't know what it's like to pay off your house because I ain't done it yet. But they give you whatever it is that says, okay, you're free. You're free from the debt. You don't owe anything. And you walk out and you're excited and you got that slip of paper that says you're, you are debt free on your house. And some guy walks up to you out of the blue and says, hey, you know, you still owe me 20 grand for your house. What would you say? You're an idiot. <laughs> I don't owe you jack. I don't owe you nothing. I, look, I got the bill of sale. I got the paper right here. It says I'm free. I don't, I don't owe you. I don't even know who you are. Are you kidding some guy walks up on the street and says, I, I don't owe you nothing. That's what it's like when that doubt, when that fear, when those temptations, when that whisper comes says, you know what? Jesus ain't enough. You kind of missing something. Oh, who are you talking to? I don't know you. I have the bill of sale right here. He paid for my sins. He died for me. I believe in the name of the son of God. I know that I have eternal life. It don't even make sense. It don't even make sense. What if you were to go home to your loved one or to your friend and say, well, I paid off the debt and we're free and I don't have any more bills. But man, this guy walked up in the parking lot and told me I owed some more. So what are we going to do? If your loved one has any brains in their head, they'd be saying, are you stupid? Are you, are you crazy? He says, I'm writing these things that you know that you have eternal life and whatever other thought comes in your head, whatever other whisper comes into your mind, whatever somebody else may tell you, are you kidding? I have the word of God as the testimony that Jesus died and rose again. I don't need you to tell me I owe something that I don't owe because the one to whom I've owed it to has declared me not guilty. The one to whom I owe the debt has said, now I am debt free. So I don't listen to any other voices. I don't listen to any other testimony. I have the testimony of God himself. I have the testimony of his divine son, the second person of the Trinity. I don't, I don't listen to anything else. He died, rose again for me to know that I have eternal life. You are assured if you believe in the name of the son of God that you have eternal life. The second thing that we see in these next two verses is that you are assured that you have a perfect relationship with Christ, a perfect relationship with God. You don't need anything else to come into his presence and to let your request be made known. You don't need anything else. You don't have to, you don't have to do good. You don't have to do better. In fact, your works without Christ are just filthy rags. It's Christ that makes you able to work for, for God, for his glory. It says in these verses, it says, and this is the confidence this is that we may know that we have eternal life. This boldness, this confidence, this assurance. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the next verse says, and if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So it says in verse 14, as we go back, just these two verses, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Now, first, before we even look, before we even look at what this is, this confidence that if we ask, he hears, where does this confidence come from? We know this is the confidence that we have where in him, the confidence doesn't come from I'm doing real good. The confidence doesn't come from, hey, I've learned a lot of stuff and I've got the good knowledge now and I know God a whole lot better. The confidence doesn't come from everything's working out in my life and everything's good and I can, I can just, uh, you know, I know all the secrets and the mysteries. The confidence doesn't come from my works. It doesn't come from myself. It doesn't come from my heart. It doesn't come from my knowledge. It doesn't come from anything. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him. We know that we have eternal life because he died for us. We believe in the name of the son of God. And this is the confidence that we have. And this confidence is found in only one place in him. That's why so many people don't have this confidence. 
Because they let every circumstance in the world rattle their confidence. They let everything that happens, every little whisper that comes into their mind, every little whisper from outside, the the flesh whispers to them, uh, Satan whispers to them, the world says, no, that's not right. They let every little thing come in and say, you know what? You don't have that confidence. The confidence isn't based on anything other than being in him. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The point of this thing, the point of what he's saying here is that you have access as a believer in Christ. Simple believer, whether you were saved yesterday, five minutes ago, or you've been saved 45 years, you have the same access as a child has to his father. You can come in anytime you see fit. You can come in anytime you see fit. There's no veil stopping you. There's no priest that you have to go through. There's no hoops that you have to jump through. The confidence that we have in him is that when we ask, he hears. When we ask, he hears. That's a big deal. Psalm 66, uh, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's a big deal. That's a big deal to say, this is the confidence that we have in him, that when we ask, he hears. And then the next verse says, and we know that if he hears, whatsoever we ask, we have the petitions that, that, we, uh, that we desired of him. Now, remember what was going on at the time. Uh, the first century church, they were suffering. They were being persecuted. That's what Jesus said would happen. He said, you know, you'd be persecuted. The world hates you, hates me. They're going to hate you if you come in my name. All these things are, are what Jesus told us would happen. And what was going on was these, these quote unquote spiritual guys, these spiritual teachers were coming in. They were saying, look, you guys, you guys are praying, but nothing's happening. You're still being persecuted. You're still being hated by the world. You're still having all these things go on. You're still, the reality was we're still living in a fallen world. We're still living in this flesh. We're still living here, although we've been changed and we have the assurance of eternal life, the Holy Spirit living in us. And he says, they were saying, guess what? It's because you don't have enough. It's because you're missing something. All you have is Jesus. And that's good. And those are some good baby steps for you to be walking on. Those are some good. That's a good foundation for you to start building on. But if you want God to really answer your prayer, if you want God to make all this suffering go away, you need to come and you need to follow us. Man, that doesn't sound like folks today, TV preaching and all that kind of stuff. Boy, if you want to go and, you know, God is going to bless you. If you just send your check in, if you do, you know, follow my teaching, you're going to be, you know, you're not going to have to worry about sin anymore. You're not going to worry about world temptation anymore. You're not going to have to worry about being persecuted anymore. And he said, the problem is what they were saying was the problem is that all you have is Jesus and you haven't built anything upon it. You need all these other teachings and God will really hear you. God will really hear you and he will act on your behalf. And John's saying, no, he's saying this is the confidence that we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It doesn't mean that he don't hear you if you don't ask according to his will. It means that he will give you what is according to his will. Over and over again, you see in scripture, Paul said, God, take this thorn from me. God said, no, my grace is sufficient. He wanted to teach Paul something. Even the Lord Jesus himself prayed, God, Father, if it's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so he says, look, if you pray according to his will, and really, I don't really, I was going to do this big thing about according to his will, but to be honest, I don't understand why, why a believer would pray, would want to pray against God's will anyway. Even if it means, you know, something that I probably wouldn't have chose for myself, I want God's will to be done. And, you know, it might, might stink at the time, but I want God's will. I want what he wants. And we know we have confidence in Romans eight twenty eight that all things are working to good. So we know that God is working for our benefit. God doesn't want bad for us. He doesn't want, he doesn't want evil to happen to us. He doesn't want bad circumstances. He wants good things. And when things happen, we know that it's for our good. He says, if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of John is telling them, listen, 
I know these guys are coming in and they're saying, well, just look around. Everything's going bad. God must not be listening to you. God must not be hearing you. John is saying, no, God hears us in Christ and there is nothing more that you need other than Christ. There is nothing more that you need. You, you understand that, that, uh, what am I trying to say? You understand that just because things may not work out exactly the way you want doesn't mean Jesus isn't enough. That's what he's saying. You have, number one, you have assurance that you have eternal life. And number two, you have assurance that you have God's ear. Let's put it that way. That makes sense? You have God's ear. You're his son. You're his daughter. If you've trusted in Christ and you have his ear and you know that when you ask according to his will, you will receive whatever it is that you ask. When it's according to his will, it's going to happen exactly the way that you petition him for. Verse 14, go back. Sarah Beth says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. This is what we know. This is our assurance. If we ask anything, anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us and we know that if he hears us, we know that whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that uh, that we desired of him. So the two things that you make sure that you understand, he's writing these things at the end. This is the end of the letter. It's almost uh, he's wrapping everything up and he's letting you know for, for certain that number one, you have assurance that you have eternal life. There is no ifs, there is no ands, there is no buts. And you have assurance that God hears when you ask, if you have trusted in Christ. He hears when you ask. So when you say, you know, the circumstances in your life go on, things happen, things, you know, whatever. There's a time that we're all going to die if the Lord doesn't come back. There's a time when we go through persecution. There's a time when the world is going to hate you. And man, it's just going to be, you know, all kind of things could go on. You know, if you were live, a Christian living in one of those countries in the uh, third world right now, you would be under the threat of, of dying, head cut off, all those things going on. And somebody could come along and they could say, look, look at all this bad that's happening. Look at the threat of persecution and dying that you're under. God must not be hearing you. God must not be honoring you. And John is saying, no, sir, you have the ear of God and he hears you if you've trusted in Christ. You don't need something more. You might go to a person who is, you know, on the chopping block about to have their head cut off tomorrow for the testimony of Christ. And you can say, God will get you out of this if you'll just add two or three steps on top of Jesus. John is saying, no, there is no steps to add upon Christ. There's no steps to add upon Jesus. He's not the baby steps. He's the whole thing. And if you have trusted in him, this is the confidence that we have where in him that he hears when we ask. He hears when we ask. So you have assurance that you have eternal life and you have assurance that he hears when you ask. Those two things are imperative to understand that we have those in Christ and in Christ alone. The last thing, and these are last two verses are some of the hardest verses really to interpret. I, I was going to preach this last week, but I needed more time with it just to uh, just to understand it. It says, if any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin that is not unto death. This is, <clears throat> this is, I'm going to explain it to you, but this is the assurance that you will persevere. If you've trusted in Christ, you will continue to trust in Christ the rest of your life. Why? Not because you're so awesome, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you've been changed. And where else can we go? Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere to go to. We are not of those that fall back under perdition, but those that believe to the saving of the soul. That's what, that's what this is saying. Now, there's two ways we can look at it. Let me, let me just say, the point is, he's kind of adding to the thing of prayer. He said, we know that we have what we ask for. 
If any man sees his brother a sin, which is a sin, a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them. He said, God's going to answer your prayer. The question that always comes up is what is a sin? What is the sin that's unto death? And if it was up to me, be honest, I'd have done skipped over these verses if I wasn't going straight through first John. What is the sin? I'm going to answer the question as best I know how. But I want you to see that that's not the point of the verse. He, John says sin, if I see a man sin that's not unto death, you pray he's going to be restored. You see, you know, he said, I'm not talking about the sin that's unto death. He, he skims over it so fast. He's just assuming that his readers know what this sin is. He doesn't explain it to us. He doesn't give us some big dissertation. The point is not, hey guys, watch out for the sin that's unto death. The point is, if you ask, God will hear you. That's the point. He's adding on on to what he just said before. So what is the sin that's unto death? You got two options, basically. And both options are true. Both options are biblical. Number one is that the sin unto death means that a brother, a sister, a believer in Christ, if you continue uh, to sin, it's not a particular sin like if you go out and murder or if you go out and whatever. There's no sin that's unforgivable other than not believing in the name of Jesus Christ, other than blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is rejecting Christ completely and totally uh, until you die. Uh, There's no sin that's unforgivable. This sin is what we've seen over and over and over again in first John, where he says the believer cannot continue in sin. He can't continually live a life of rebellion against God and God not come and discipline him. God not come and chastise him. God not by the Holy Spirit come and change him. This is, you got two options. Number one is that the believer is continuing in rebellion and continues in rebellion Over and over and over again, God has spoke to him. The word has spoke to him. Maybe like Nathan came to David and said, God, man, you better cut it out. You better watch out. And finally, God just removes him from the planet. Death, physical death. God just takes him home. Understand that's kind of a, that might scare you a little bit, but that's kind of a good thing. I mean, that's kind of assurance, isn't it? If you can continue sinning, Just continue thumbing your nose at God saying, you know what? Forget this. I don't care. I don't care. If you are a child of God, God's going to take you out eventually. God's going to remove you eventually. Man, y'all are quiet. But that shows you that you are of God. I remember Brother Eddie used to preach uh, that uh, if you if you sin and the ceiling fan don't fall down and the roof don't cave in on you, that's how you know that you're a child of God when your house falls out. That's what he's saying. He said, look, that's one option is that if if you continue in what I've told you that believers cannot do, I'm not talking about sin and I'm talking about committing a sin. I'm talking about committing high handed rebellion. I don't care. I'm not going to have it no more. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can't tell me anything. If you are a child of God, there is no way that the good shepherd is not going to come and he's going to get you. When I say get you, I mean, come bring you home. Come take you, come take you out. We see this throughout the Bible. I I can go the Old Testament. I did that last week. I think I showed you God takes some people in the Old Testament, but you see it in the new as well. Ananias and Sapphira lied in the house of God. Bang, gone. You see in first Corinthians chapter 11, where we talk about the Lord's Supper, Paul said, look, some of y'all have died because y'all are taking this in an unworthy manner. Some of y'all have fallen asleep is what he said. So we see that is true. That is absolutely biblical. And that is assurance to let you know that you will persevere one way or the other. One way or the other, you will either be corrected by the Lord Jesus Christ himself or you will be taken out and brought home by the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not let his children stay down here and sully his name, uh, meander through the, the pit of sin and do whatever they want with, with high-handed rebellion saying, you know what, I don't care. If you can persist in that, then you should be worried. Because God does not allow his sheep to stray without going after that sheep, without going after it. And he will break your leg to bring you back if he needs to. He'll do whatever he has to do. The other option is that this is eternal death. And the believer here, the brother here is a so-called brother. We've seen that over and over again in first John. 
these guys coming in saying, oh, I'm a brother, I'm a Christian, I'm a great teacher, I'm going to show you the way, I'm going to show you, we're the real Christians, and these guys over here that are just playing with the, the little Jesus stuff, you know, they've they got a good start going on, but they don't really have the whole thing. The other option is that these guys are the ones who say, you know what, we're adding to Jesus and they're living their lives just sinning on top of sinning. And what that's doing is leading to death. When they die, when they move on, they're going to spend eternity in hell because they never were believers in the first place. They were saying that they were brothers. They were saying that they were brethren. The, in chapter 2 of 1 John, it says they went out from among us because they were not of us. Well, while they were here, they looked like brethren. They called themselves brethren. You might even say, hey, brother, hey, sister. But they weren't of us because they went out of us. That's the other option. And understand what he's saying here. He's saying that is not a possibility for a true believer as well. It says, verse... Uh, 16, if any man sees his brother sin a sin, that's his continuous rebellion, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. That means a sin that leads to death, not a particular sin, but sinning over and over again, a lifestyle of sin with no correction, with no Holy Spirit guidance, with no word of God to rebuke you, with no chastisement of the Lord. You live that way. You enjoy living that way. You go on and you go on and you go on and everything's fine. Nothing happens. God doesn't come after you. Understand that's going to end in eternal damnation. He's saying that if that is the life that you can live with no correction, no Holy Spirit to come and lead and guide you into the paths of truth, then hell is your uh, destination. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you profess. If the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, if you've not been born again, doesn't matter what you say. If you can live in this fashion. Apart from God, I don't care. This is not battling with sin. This is not fighting. You know, we all have a fight with sin. We all have a battle. It's not perfection. It's not never sinning. It's not any of those things. This is, you know what? I'm going to live how I want. And I don't care what God's word says. I don't care what God has said. I don't get, I don't care. I'm just going to do exactly what I want. If you can do that and God allows you to live that way for the entirety of your life, then you You can rest assured that death, eternal death is your destination. He's saying that sin over and over again, that practice of sin, it leads to death. It's unto death. Every time John uses the word death in this book, it is eternal death. He says, we know we've passed from death to life. So either way you take it, and I'm fine with either one because both are true. Either way you take this verse, what it's promising you is that if you are a believer, you will persevere to the end. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you are a new creature. One, if you're a believer and you go off into rebellion, high-handed, you know what, I don't care, whatever, I just, ugh. God's going to chastise you, discipline you, and eventually, if you keep on, he's going to just take you home. He's going to take you out. The other says that if you continue on and God doesn't act, God doesn't chastise, God doesn't discipline you, you need to understand that that sin that you live in, that sin that you love, that sin that you are all a part of and you just can't get enough of, that's the evidence that you're going to spend eternity in eternal death. So either way you take it, this is promising for the believer that you will persevere. It may seem hard now. You may have temptations now. Let's just be honest. You may sin. You may struggle. You may fight. You will fight. You shouldn't may. It says you will fight with sin. The spirit's going to war with the flesh over and over and over again. And just when you think you've defeated it, here it comes back again. You're like, dang it. Over and over again. That is. That's an evidence that the spirit lives inside of you. Now, the guy that says, you know what, I. I struggle with sin, but, you know, I'm just all in it. There, there's a there's a, a way to 
You know, you sin every single day and you say, well, that stinks. We can talk about whether that's struggling or not. The man who the man who can do what he wants, live how he wants. And there's no Holy Spirit to lead him. There's no guidance from the spirit. There's no uh, fellowship with the brethren. There's no there's no, God does not act to go and get that sheep that wanders off from the ninety nine. You have no assurance that you are a believer in Christ. And then this final verse as we end. This was a hard this was a hard verse to me. It says, and unri- all unrighteousness is sin. He's not making sin. <clears throat> he's not making sin. Okay. Not any sin. He's not saying, well, if you're sinning, it's not unto death. It's okay. No, you've completely misunderstood. That's unbiblical. It's not what John's saying. He said, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. I struggled, brother Eddie, with that. Because the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. And that's true. What it means is the reason that there's a sin that's not unto death is because Jesus took that death. Death is the answer for all sin. Death is the wages of all sin. The reason today that you and I can have assurance that we have eternal life, even though I know I'm not perfect, even though, I mean... I sinned this morning. And if you're honest, you did too. Even though I know tomorrow I'm not going to be perfect. Tomorrow I'm going to sin. I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, thought crosses your mind and bang, there it is. You sinned. Don't love God with all your heart. Bang, you just sinned. But for the believer, there's a sin that does not lead to eternal death. And the only reason that we have to say that it's so is because Jesus took that death upon himself. Jesus took that death for me. I will never, if I'm born again, I will never experience death. Think about that. I will never experience death. He says, those who, those who live, what is it, man? Uh, I just, just left me. If you, those who are dead... I says, it's in John. He's talking to Mary. Help me out, Johnny. He says, those, are, if you, if those who are alive, believeth in me, you'll never die. And he says, believeth thou this? Never die. Those who liveth and believeth in me, you'll never die. Believeth thou this? That's what he told Martha. Never die. I will never see death. Never see it. I'll change addresses. I'll leave this fleshly body behind. I'll have a new body. I'll get to go and be with my Lord. I'll get to go and be with those of the, that have gone before me. But death, no, I'm not going to have to die. Especially not eternal death. I'll never see the second death, what the Bible calls it. I'll never see hell. I'll never see punishment. I'll never see any of those things. Why? Because I'm doing such a good job. <laughs> Wait, that's not funny. Y'all don't like. No. Because Jesus died for my sins. So if you look at this and says, oh, there is a sin not unto death. And you're thinking, well, you know, this is my sin. I'm not. You're missing the point. Jesus paid such a high price for you not to have to die. For you not to have to be separated from God for eternity. If you can look at that and say, you know what? If you can look at sin in any way, shape or form and say, you know what? It's okay. It's good. It's not that big a deal. You know, we all just kind of mess up. Everybody's sinful. You have missed the point. The only reason, the only reason that sin has not ended in death already for you is because Jesus died for your sins. And we said it last week. I told you, God would have been righteous and just to kill you the moment that the first sin crossed your life, your lips, your mind, your actions. He would have been right to strike you dead right then and there. And all of creation would have glorified his name because of it. But y'all are all still here. So he didn't do that. He showed you mercy. He showed you grace. He was forgiving and loving. And he brought you, brought you to a point through all your sin, through all your stuff, through all your rebellion and all your unrighteousness, he brought you to a point where you would accept his son and be freed from death forever.
So the three things I want you to see. To be honest, I, ex- I explained the sin unto death thing just because I had to. That's not the point of the text. Three things. The point is, the point he's making, the point we're going to see him continue to make as we end the, end the book. Number one, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can be assured that you have eternal life. You're not searching for it. You're not hoping for it. You're not longing to work for it. You have it. The second thing is that you have assurance that he hears you. He is attendant to your prayer, to your cry, to your life. He hears you. You have relationship with him. You can come through that veil and you can ask what you what you will. You can bring let your request be made known. You can come and you can pray knowing assured 100 percent that he hears you. And the third thing is that you can be assured that if you have believed in the name of the son of God, you will persevere to the end. You will persevere. God will not allow his children to be removed from his hand, period. Through circumstance, through sin, through temptation, through trial, through suffering, through persecution, through whatever. God will not allow his children to be removed from his hand. Once you've become a new creature, there is never any way to go back to being the old creature. Not if you've been born again. That's the point. The point here is assurance. It's assurance. You have eternal life. You have relationship with God. You can come and you can speak to him just as Moses did face to face in the name of Jesus because of his sacrifice. You can come into his presence. And the third thing is that you will never fall away. He is able in Jude to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from falling. So understand today that these are glorious truths. And it, 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 was, it, it, was, it was tough for me that these, you know, people want to talk about the sin and the death and all that kind of, that, that's masking the truth that he's trying to tell you. I mean, that's, we can talk about that, but don't, that's not what this passage is about. It's about assurance. It's about assurance that you will never pass away. You will never die. You will never have to go through being separated from the father the way Jesus did on the cross where where God turned his back on his son because of the sin. You'll never have to go through that. You might have to physically die if Jesus doesn't return before then, but you'll never, ever have to go through facing the wrath of a holy God. Even though... You're a sinner. You have assurance. That's the point. Assurance that life is yours. Relationship is yours. And perseverance is yours. There's nothing ever going to take that away from you. But once again, if you have not trusted in Christ, you have none of those things. I want to, one last thing. Go back to verse 16. I'm already over time. So we're going to read this. We're going to pray <clears throat> in, in, in 15, 14 and 15. We're not going to read them again, but he says, this is the confidence that we have. He says, if you ask, he hears you. If he, if he hears you, you know that you have what you've asked for. And then 16 says, if any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. This basically is the same thing Galatians 6 says. If you see one overtaken in the fault, the ones who are spiritual go and restore him. That's what he's saying. But he says, there is a sin that is unto death. I do not say that you should pray for it. He's not forbidding you to pray for those that are lost. He's saying, that's not what I'm talking about right here. That's what he's saying. Understand this. There is a reality throughout Scripture. That if you reject God's salvation over and over again, God's merciful. He's going to give you a million chances. He don't owe you a million chances. More than likely, he's going to give you a million chances. He sure gave me a bunch. But there comes a time, as Romans 1 says, that he will turn you over to a reprobate mind. He will turn you over. When you say, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do what I want. I don't think it's a sin. I don't care what God's word says. There's a time 
I don't know when that time is. It might not be to you 90. I, I can't say that it's now for anybody. But I can say that the scripture teaches there's a time when he will turn you over to a reprobate mind, cause you to believe a lie. And you will no longer want Christ. It's not that you're huddling in the corner going, oh, I wish God would speak. No, it'll be you walking out in the road going, forget that mess. I don't want to hear that. I don't care. I've met people in the hospital on their deathbed. I mean, I don't know anybody's salvation. I, don't know, I wouldn't presume to know that. But they said on their deathbed, knowing I'm not going to get up out of this bed. I don't care. I don't, I'm not a religious guy. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to hear none of that. On their deathbed. I mean, if I'm on my deathbed, I would think, surely. I mean, what could it hurt now? You know, go on and tell me about it. I may not accept it, but just go on. I don't want to hear that mess. Turned over. Just don't care. Don't want. It says, there is a sin that is unto death. The sin that is unto death is for those who have not trusted in Christ. For those who have not trusted in Christ, it will end for you. In eternal damnation. And today, you're all still breathing. You're all still looking at me. Some of you are anyway. He offers you the chance to come and say, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to come and be saved. I want you to come and to enjoy this assurance that you have eternal life. This assurance that I will always, always accept you into my presence. Always hear your prayers. Always hear when you ask. Always hear when you call upon me. And the assurance of knowing that nothing can ever separate you from the hand of God. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that's going to draw you away. There's nothing that's going to take you from my grasp. There's nothing that's ever going to impede your salvation. You can have that assurance. You remember what he said right at the beginning? You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to stand on one leg and repeat after me. You have to believe in the name of the Son of God. Simple as that. I write these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we come before you today. God, I I just pray, Lord, that you would bless your word.